You are listening to Women Leading Prevention Science, where we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. Each episode features a conversation with two female researchers who will discuss the public health problems they're trying to solve through their work and tell the stories of their journeys into the field. I'm Sarah Hairgrove, a public health analyst at RTI International. I began working in substance use prevention research after graduating from The Ohio State University in 2020, and I'll be starting graduate school this fall at the University of Maryland to obtain my master's in public health and health equity. As I move through my early years as a prevention scientist, it's an honor to speak with these inspiring female leaders in the field. This podcast was developed as part of the Heal Prevention Cooperative, funded through the NIH Helping to End Addiction Long-Term Initiative, an aggressive effort to speed scientific solutions to curb the national opioid public health crisis. The Heal Prevention Cooperative includes 10 research projects throughout the country and one coordinating center based at RTI International in the Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. Today, I'll be talking with Mrs. Tyra Pendergrass-Boomer, Deputy Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Play to Prevent Lab at the Yale Center for Health and Learning Games, and Dr. Elvira Ellick, Senior Research Public Health Analyst and Program Director for the Substance Use Prevention, Evaluation, and Research Program at RTI International. Tyra and Elvira began the conversation, reflecting on how they fell into working in prevention science after pursuing degrees in biology and psychology. Thank you both so much for joining me today. You each have an interesting story about how you ended up in the prevention science field. Tyra, what led you to prevention research? I feel like I kind of just fell into it. So um, I have an undergrad degree in biology with a minor in chemistry, and then I have a master's degree in environmental management. And so I had been doing a lot of research um, through undergrad, grad school, and out of grad school that specifically was dealing with plants. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, I like research. I think, um, you know, it's pretty applicable to a lot of things that we're trying to solve um, in the world. But I'm not really like, you know, too gung-ho about staying in a greenhouse all day just talking to the plants. And so I wanted to switch over to something that, um, you know, was, was human-based. And so um, I happened to see um, some postings for, um, you know, a research assistant position at uh, the Play to Prevent Lab at Yale University. And I was like, oh, this sounds great. This is with video games and this is with kids. And it just sounds like something that's that's different, but something that I would really enjoy. And so I applied and I got it. And then over the years, just learning from my team who have different backgrounds, um, like our PI is a medical doctor. We also have people on our team that um, are mental health professionals, um, people that have PhDs in, in game design and development. And so we call ourselves this collective brain. And so how I kind of fell, you know, fell into prevention science is being more attracted to the project and what the outcomes could be as far as far as with like adolescents and wanting to shift over from that plant research into like human research. And that's been almost 10 years ago. The rest is history. So I definitely um, fell into this and it wasn't, you know, something I knew that I wanted to do from, from the get-go. Thank you. Elvira, do you have a similar story? I, I have a good story for that one because I like Tara's description of falling into it. That's kind of what it felt like. Um, I have my undergrad degree in psychology from New York University. And as I got into my senior year, I realized that I kind of had to figure out what I wanted to do when I, when I grow up. And it's like, 
what do you do with the psychology degree? So I ended up going to grad school, like a lot of people do, you know, with the psych degree. Um, I went to get my PhD in social psychology at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. And my real interest there was on intergroup relations. So I did my dissertation on ethnic identification and prejudice and, and looking into all of that. Then I graduated and realized that there wasn't a lot of grant funding in that area. But while I was in grad school, I did spend a lot of time um, getting wonderful analytic and statistical skills taught research methods while I was in grad school to undergrads. Um, and that kind of provided me the basis for uh, getting research positions and other positions that, that, that really focused on those analytic and method skills. Um, so I first started out life circumstances, was living on Long Island, started working out evaluating uh, programs for a local community college, did that for a year. Life circumstances took my partner at the time to uh, State College, Pennsylvania, where there's basically Penn State, and that's about it in terms of um, employers of PhDs. Uh, but after a few months, I was able to find a position as a research associate on a grant study, you know, where I was basically going to be the analyst of that particular project. And it was working on Michael Heck's Keeping It Real. Uh, program, which is focused on substance use prevention um, in middle schools at that time with, with adolescents. Um, 22 years later now, it's like, this is what I've been doing since then. And, and I really, I worked at Penn State for a while, uh, working on individual prevention education programs and, and helping to evaluate those worked with some folks in Rutgers during parts of that on a media literacy campaign, a media literacy program for schools. Um, so I did that kind of work, helping them develop it and evaluate it. So eventually from those prevention education programs and the evaluation of those, I moved on to working on cross-site community-based work and really looking more at community-based prevention rather than just individual-based prevention in evaluation programs. I'm curious, were there people in your professional experiences kind of throughout those years that you were, you know, changing from one path to another? Were there people that made you believe in yourself or resources or um, advice you received that really encouraged you that you could make that change? A lot of it was really the Society for Prevention Research. The position I first got at Penn State, again, it was like really as an analyst, but starting to, you know, and I, I mean more broadly, you know, all the wonderful people that are part of uh, that society and the conferences that, that, that they support um, really got me to see prevention more broadly than just that analytic aspect of it, which, which is where I was really focused on before that. Um, really understand things like risk and protective factors. Um, and also realize, I think with, with having gotten into this field around 2000, the, the year 2000, um, it was still a very new field. And even the, the Society for Prevention Research had been around, oh, maybe five years at that point. Um, so talking to a lot of the, the, the researchers that I met there, I realized a lot of them kind of fell into it. 
So, you know, the, the field didn't exist before. So that's what they ended up, you know, deciding to do. They, they wanted to do a research study on this or they were doing other educational research or communications research or what have you. Um, and I think that's another cool thing to know about prevention is that it is people from a lot of different fields that make up prevention work. So there's um, medical folks. There are folks that focus on communications and how to communicate better and teach youth how to communicate better. Um, there are educators that help us make sure some of the programs that we create um, fit the curricula that the states are looking for, for their health campaigns or their health programs and stuff. Um, uh, there's, you know, there's the statisticians and the analysts that, that help decide or help us look at whether or not these things actually really have an evidence base. Um, so prevention research takes a lot of different disciplines and people can enter it from a lot of different ways. What about you, Tyra? Was there one resource or person or piece of advice that really made you believe you could make that change? I wouldn't say um, just one. Um, I, I can't whittle it down. Um, I, I do have to give a major shout out to, to my team at the Play to Prevent Lab because as um, Elvira mentioned, like having people that have all these different backgrounds and disciplines coming in together to bring their skills and abilities, that was really what I experienced with joining the team where, again, um, you know, we have different people on our team that have different backgrounds, but I was able to learn so much for them. So, you know, for me coming from more of the natural science side and, you know, having to learn about psychology and behavior change theories, but then also, you know, addiction medicine and how all of that can be, you know, meshed together to make our interventions the most, um, the most impactful that they can be, especially for our populations, which are adolescents. Um, I, I, I always have to give a shout out to my team because it's like, you know, it is a celebration of what you're able to bring to the table, but I learned just as much from them still on a daily basis as, you know, as what I'm able to bring to the table as well. Their non-traditional paths to prevention science gave Tyra and Elvira some unique perspectives related to how they conduct their research and strive to make contributions to the field. I kind of like that mine was like a uh, very non-conventional because I think the way that I view things and the way that I attack problems um, is very different instead of just kind of being put into like a silo or a box like you have to think you know in this this term and you know something that we always talk about in research is how you know you can have all the the theories that you want or you know predict how you think people in themselves will behave in certain situations and you can have your best guess your best hypothesis and then when you get out in the real world, it's kind of like, oh, curveball after curveball after curveball. Like when you're throwing these curveballs, how do you address this? I think being, you know, having that non-conventional way into prevention science is, um, is an asset in a lot of ways. I went to school and I studied this and, you know, I can recite everything in a textbook, but it's through a lot of trial, error, getting out there, talking to people, um, understanding how different communities work and like how they might respond to certain things and being able to come back and put all that into, you know, your, your intervention and your outreach for, um, you know, whatever project that you're working on. So um, I like that. I like that my journey has been very unconventional. I know for me, it's probably two things. Um, one of them is there are a good number of people, especially when you're looking at the, the substance use prevention side, 
that really got into the field specifically because they wanted to work on substance use. So whether because they had family experiences, personal experiences, um, you know, they, they're, they're very wedded to working on that. And I think one of the things that helps me coming from a different perspective is I really keep a lot more of an open mind sometimes about what's going to work and what's not going to work. So, you know, there was a lot of resistance towards harm reduction, for example, in the United States. You know, for me, it was like, if there's any way to keep people from harming themselves, even if they're using substances, why don't we try to focus on those consequences rather than just focus on the preventing substance use itself? We're working with, you know, folks that have been doing prevention education, for example, for a long time and came up through the whole just say no, we need to scare the heck out of kids, you know, that kind of perspective on it. And, you know, working with them to explain, it's like, well, the evidence shows that that stuff doesn't work. So what else do we have to do to try to really reach kids to, to, to help them? Um, the other thing that I've found is really getting into it from that method slash analyst perspective and starting out there is that I really focus more sometimes on the logic of why we're doing things. So I could sit down with somebody and work through that logic model. So it's not just, you know, outcomes to however the heck you get there, but really looking each step along the way to, to how you're getting there and logically thinking through that. And definitely it's like my methods and analytic background have helped with that. Do you encounter any specific challenges to taking a non-traditional path to prevention science? I guess I wouldn't classify it as challenges, but um, as I mentioned before, like coming from a, a strictly natural science background and then having to learn um, a lot of psychology, um, having to learn those stats and methods, um, like Elvira was saying, um, I think, you know, it, it was a nice challenge, but it wasn't something that prevented me from being able to be impactful in this field. Um, it was just a, you know, kind of a, a new, new skill sets that I had to learn um, that I probably, you know, didn't have as many years as some other people do, but um, I enjoyed learning about it. I, I guess I would call it a challenge with a small C and not a, not a challenge with a big C. I would call it opportunities. So it's like opportunities to really get a chance to learn some of those things that you maybe didn't know, because, you know, you can't know everything getting into it. Even I think even if you've had an education in prevention science, you can't, you know, you may not, you may not have the good background in doing some of the things, say, say with community engagement that Tyra and some of her, you know, the folks on her team are really great at. Um, it's, you know, opportunities going to conferences and, you know, where I was really focused on some of the analytics and, oh, what's this cool new statistical technique to use, you know, to figure out what our findings are and stuff, really started attending more of the content area stuff. And that's how I really learned some of those core concepts in prevention. It's like those risk and protective factors. And, you know, working with things like uh, community norms, individual norms, and how those impact what people think about substances. Uh, and then later on, um, I had a chance to work on an opportunity to work on a project with the District of Columbia. That was my first real community-based project where I was getting away from these education programs and just attending trainings 
that they were having for for the staff across these you know various prevention providers and learning all about the strategic prevention framework. Um, that's a lot of the work I do now with SAMHSA really focuses on it and I have a strong understanding of it because I had that opportunity to learn that stuff at those trainings about 10 or so years ago. So yeah, it was a challenge not knowing that stuff, but, but the thing is to really take advantage of those opportunities to learn those things as you go along. With their unique journeys into prevention science, Tyra and Elvira had some advice for young women in school or working in a different field who were interested in exploring a career in prevention science. Elvira spoke about being open to new opportunities that come your way. And Tyra said she believes it is important to pursue the things you're passionate about. I would say be open. Be open and see where it leads you. It definitely helps. It definitely helps to get that education. There are some great prevention education programs out there now that just didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, so whether it's ew, University of Washington has a great one, the Pennsylvania State University has another great one, but there are a lot of other programs out there across the country where you could actually learn some of those core concepts that I know I had to kind of learn along the way. Um, be open to other areas that it could apply to. I know Tyra was talking about, you know, some of the things that, that her group works on. It's not just substance use prevention, but it's also HIV prevention, um, you know, other behavioral disorders. I think when we silo ourselves too much, um, it causes problems because, you know, how many schools could spend a 12 week curriculum on substance use prevention? You know, where a lot of those same concepts like, uh, you know, helping kids learn great decision making, um, helping kids think about their norms and the norms of their peers. That's kind of, you know, whether it's risky sexual behavior or substance use or other risky behaviors that they might be engaged in. It's, it's a lot of the same processes that are underlying them. So be open to, to, you know, seeing what other issues you could address, even if it's just a few specific ones that get you into this. I'm a big person on um, passions. Like, what are you passionate about? And I think Elvira spoke to this a little bit earlier, too, of like when she was talking about the logic models of like, you know, what's the end goal that you're trying to get to? Like, why? Like the big, I think the why is um, very much connected to the passions or gives insight into like what is important to that person. So if I were giving advice to, you know, a young woman who might be interested in this, um, I would say like, you know, use those those four years that you're in undergrad, figure out what your passions are. And I think just like Elvira and I have said, you know, the great thing about prevention science is that it's just kind of like this amalgamation of like all these different skills that can be brought to the table to address like, you know, to try to problem solve, um, you know, with, with certain topics and areas. And so I don't, I think my advice would be like, discover what your passions are, what's your why. And, you know, those things that you, you observe, like Elvira said, like when you're outside of that silo and you're seeing like, you know, what community norms are, you're seeing a problem in, you know, an environment that you frequent or that you're passionate about. I think it lends itself to be like, okay, well, I have these skills over here. I think they can be utilized in this way to help solve this problem. And it can be, you know, it can be um, under the context 
context of, of prevention. Like why, why do we want to use the skills after, you know, the baby is already floating down the river? Like, let's see who's throwing the babies in the river first. And that's, you know, that's prevention science that is at its best. Um, so, you know, those skills are just as valuable, but I'm, I'm a big person on um, passion and, um, you know, what, what different people bring to the, to the table. I think it's just always beautiful. I could say in my life, my career, that has not been my passion. But about eight years ago, I was exposed to how important the economic, economic side of it is for policymakers. So if you're putting a prevention program out there, and, and I, I know there was a little bit of a tendency towards this in the prevention field in the early 2000s of, well, we got to have more lessons. And we got to have the, these, you know, fancy props and this great, you know, textbook for this stuff and all these things that would cost money and cost schools money or cost schools time, like classroom time, you know, so whether it's those, those time resources or the, the monetary resources, you start realizing that it's like, you know, well, maybe this, this may be the best intervention program in the world, but if it costs too much, it's never going to be implemented. So, you know, while your passion may be the, the actual prevention work itself, there's all these other things that you have to think about to, to really get something effective out there that's going to be used by communities. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Women Leading Prevention Science. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you'll continue to join us as we host candid conversations with some of the most accomplished women in the prevention science field. We hope you'll share this podcast with your prevention science colleagues and with any young women you know that may be interested in pursuing a career in science. For more information on the HEAL Prevention Initiative, please visit heal.nih.gov.